Today, our guest is Aaron Baer. Aaron is the founder of Namaste Republic and has held leadership roles in strategy, innovation, technology, marketing, and sales. He is a results-focused exponential leader that understands how to create a high-performing culture. His book, Reimagining Innovation, which we'll talk to him about today, contains a collection of nine keys of exponential leadership that can be used as a formula to navigate disruption. Enjoy the interview. Welcome to the Business Bookshelf Podcast. I'm your host, Lance Pepler. Like you, I'm a lifetime learner and find books one of the best ways to do this. The purpose of this podcast, then, is to interview authors of new business books, get insights into their thinking, lives, and businesses, all in a light-friendly manner. Today, we talk about all things exponential, growth, and technology. It's a topic close to my heart, as in 2020, last year, I tried to start a company focusing on exponential consulting. And I'm an ambassador of OpenEXO that is founded by Salim Ishmael, who's the author of Exponential Organizations. In fact, for the first 50 or 60 episodes, the name of this podcast was called the Exponential Organizations Podcast, before I changed it to the Business Bookshelf Podcast as it is today. So my guest today is Aaron Baer, who's also a member of OpenEXO, and he's been a lecturer and professor of innovation and entrepreneurship for over 10 years. He's also a global speaker and facilitator that has facilitated many strategic discussions on innovation and leadership at organizations in over 90 countries and all 50 states. He's written a book called Reimagining Innovation that contains a collection of nine keys of exponential leadership that can be used as a formula to navigate disruption. So welcome to the podcast, Aaron. Thanks, Lance. Appreciate uh, you taking the time to to have me on the business bookshelf. It's been a long time coming. I appreciate you joining me. So where am I speaking to you from today? I'm in uh, Tempe, Arizona, actually. And my question now to get, have the listeners get to know the guest a little bit more is if I were to go and visit um, Arizona, what would you go and take me to? If we had a day together, which sites would you go and take me to go and see? Well, Arizona is a, a big state. Um, mm. There's a lot of mile, a lot of miles around um, Arizona, but uh, the Grand Canyon obviously is what we're known for. Um, yeah, that's about four and a half hours away. But along the way, there's uh, Sedona, which is known for its red rock. Um, what's interesting about Arizona is that our climatology. We basically have every kind of climate within our ecosystem. So we have. Wow. Not within within 90 minutes, I can be skiing right now. Um, outside, the weather is 75 degrees, so I could be, you know, in the pool this afternoon. So I could be at the beach in San Diego on a 45-minute flight, or LA, or uh, even Rocky Point, Puerto Pensaco in Mexico, um, within an hour. So literally Vegas within 45 minutes. So it's got a it's got this West Coast lifestyle where. Um, you just have lots of options and lots of different things that you, you can do. People don't really recognize it. They think, they think we're just the desert, but we can actually uh, get to a lot mm. of different places very, very quickly. So, so and, and where, you, where you live, is that mostly desert or is that kind of lush? What, what, kind of, um, a, a, what kind of area are you in? Yeah, so uh, Tempe is part of Greater Phoenix and we're in a valley and it's, it's part of the desert. Yeah. Um, but it's changed because, you know, now we have 300 golf courses and 
Um, we're using our water up probably more than we need to be. Uh, but we have about a million people su supposed to move here in the next 10 years. We have been the fastest growing county uh, for the last three or four years. Uh, so it is a very attractive place to live. Uh, obviously, with the exodus of California to, you know, we're hearing the headlines into Texas. Um, Arizona was a place before that. We've actually changed our tax system a little bit. That's probably wow. uh, repelled a few people away. But um, nonetheless, the quality of life is in incredible uh, for the cost of living that you have here in Arizona. So um, I've made it my home, even though I've traveled to 90 plus countries in all 50 states in the U.S., uh, plus Guam and Puerto Rico. So I've, uh. I've traveled a ton, but uh, always love coming home because you can expect to look up in the sky and see blue skies 350 <laughs> days a year. And uh, you don't you don't really worry about any natural disasters such as uh, hurricanes, earthquakes, and earthquakes and you know, a few dust storms. But uh, as mind, if you don't mind getting a little dusty, you're OK. That sounds fantastic. I, I went to Las Vegas uh, um, once, but I actually just changed planes in the airport. So <laughs> I really need to experience Las Vegas for one and the Grand Canyon, et cetera, and, and your city. Uh, so, Aaron, can you give us a bit of an overview of your career uh, to date, you know, how you've progressed through all the different roles that I spoke about during the introduction? Yeah, so I, I, I started my career... Um, after uh, I got a master's in uh, international studies, I um, was uh, recruited by Accenture. Uh, it was Anderson Consulting back then for some of uh, the older listeners that may have remembered uh, the mm. Anderson days. Um, but I, I worked for them for a few years and worked my way up uh, into project management and program management and managed communications for high tech and telecom, worked in their startup incubator, uh, and then you know, decided uh, 2001, uh, pre 9-11 to uh, venture out and, um, you know, try the startup world. So uh, I, I uh, joined a, a, a startup and from then uh, the voyage went on for the next uh, 20 years. I've, I've sold 12 companies, Wow! created a digital strategy agency. Um, I failed at more than 12 companies. So I wasn't, I wasn't shy about starting and launching businesses. And, sure largely because I had this digital agency underneath me that I could basically build any software. So um, I partnered with a lot of different people and created a lot of different um, internet solutions out there. Uh, and some of them that went on to, to fairly uh, significant commercial success. But um, hmm. since, since then, the last five years, I sold uh, Buzzmouth was the company. It's a digital strategy firm. I sold it to one of the largest, um, actually largest advertising agency here in Arizona. And um, we had some significant clients like uh, Google and Coca-Cola wow. and Dell and Dannon and Harley-Davidson. Um, so I left that business. And in 2016, I started doing uh, innovation consulting. And I had done a, a little bit of that uh, previous to that when I was, um, you know, working Buzzmouth as a digital strategy firm. But then I found myself uh, pretty much on the road. Uh, nonstop traveling around the world, um, largely with organizations like WDHB, which is Warm Decent Human Beings, an incredible little uh, learning expedition company, uh, Chaos Pilot uh, out of Denmark, and then Hyper Island out of um, Sweden. So I was able sure. to travel with those organizations, and we serve clients like Daimler and Coca-Cola and uh, Belfast Bank, which is the largest bank in Belgium. And wow. we would 
take their leadership from their board um, on down through their ranks and we take them to different parts of the world and we create expeditions where we would have them go in and out of different companies uh, and learn really parallel innovation. Here's what different industries are doing. Here's what, you know, some of the startups in your industry are doing that'll potentially disrupt you. And then we'd help them develop a strategic plan and take that home. So I would travel to just about every ecosystem, startup ecosystem in the in the sure. world from Singapore, Shanghai, Tel Aviv. Um, and I was on the, you know, and that's why I said it was great to always come home to Arizona because <laughs> I had I had one consistency that I could have, uh, you know, sunlight and, and, and beauty when I came home, but I never knew where I was going to be in a, in a month. Um, so, you know, I'd go from London, Copenhagen, uh, you name it, I'd always be on, on a plane. So wow. I learned my executive platinum status and uh, put in a lot of miles. Uh, but during that, I, I got the opportunity to see some of the greatest companies and what they were doing and how their organizations were developed. And that's where really, really I started doing, you know, collecting these notes um, over about the last 10 years, part of my digital strategy career, as well as this innovation. And I just started collecting all these notes and I collected over a thousand pages over that time frame, saying, well, I want to write a book. Well, never had any time. Uh, until March this year, when uh, things slowed down for the world, I was able to take those notes and actually craft them into uh, something I'm pretty proud of, this book that uh, Reimagining Innovation, the future of exponential leadership, because mm. I definitely see the world as now shifted dramatically into an exponential hyperdrive um, and COVID, uh, as well as racial inequities, mental health, and all these different issues that are colliding right now in our landscape um, mm. are going to force us to reinvent the world. And um, that the book kind of crafts a, a formula to do that, uh, leveraging some of the thought leaders uh, in the world so that they can um, share some of their ways that they've done it and, and really learn from some of the greats like uh, Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos. Yeah. Like, what are the things they did early on that, that really created the culture and created the company? that could grow exponentially. And so we've been pretty closely um, because I've been in and out of those companies literally dozens of times. Um, sure. uh, visit San Francisco or New York or, you know, even, you know, visiting Amazon in Austria and different places. So um, had ability to kind of see some of these companies um, from an external person, but from a different viewpoint that, that maybe even people inside the company didn't even see their own. So that kind of shed some light in the book uh, hopefully it comes out of, of, of how, I, how I saw innovation uh, sprout up in unique ways and how these companies have just grown uh, amazingly, um, you know, through this, this kind of methodology that I've found and created. Wow. So before we get into the book, Reimagining Innovation, which we will do now, I just want to ask you, do you miss your traveling days or are you kind of happy to be in one place or would you like a more of a combination of the two? Uh, it's bittersweet. Um, you know, I, I think the stimulus of uh, traveling and meeting new people and seeing new things was what really got, you know, my brain going and, and really, you know, was what I really looked for. Even when I was home, I was like thinking about my next trip. Um, but I really have embraced this uh, local um, perspective this year. So I think going forward, because um, I've never spent this much time in one place. I mean, literally my whole career, I've never and I'm sure there's many, many other listeners that have had yeah. that same experience. Um, but just sitting here, it's, it's, you know, I've embraced this, this idea of being part of a community 
uh, versus what I always used to, you know, sell myself as I'm part of this global community. And yet, you know, I'd have, I have friends in just about every country or at least every continent in the world, but, uh, you know, it's not that I, I stay in touch with them. So, so now I have neighbors and, and people that I know that I never knew for the last 20 years. So, um, there, there's, it's bittersweet. There's, there's, there's plus and minuses to everything. Yeah. Um, I do, you know, I do dream of when we can just, you know, get back on a plane and go somewhere and not have to worry about all, all the things <laughs> that, uh, we worry about today. So, um, I think there's, my normal is probably not, uh, in one place, but it, probably a, a more balanced medium uh, than it was <laughs> Absolutely. Before. All right. So your book, Reimagining Innovation, and it, you know, we, we're both part of similar communities, actually. And, and we both, uh, you know, have looked at exponential technologies, exponential growth. So let's start at the beginning there. Can you talk to us about the exponential world? Is it really the fact that things are growing exponentially? And how do we operate in this world if it is that is growing exponentially? Yeah, great question, Lance. I, I think what what I see, you know, from this innovation is is certain companies that, um, and I've gotten a lot of really good reviews and feedback on Amazon from the book itself. And, mm. you know, the ones, the ones that are critical are, I'm not literally laying out a philosophy of my philosophy of, what, what, you know, it's really just my analysis of what's happening in the world. So obviously um, we live in a VUCA world, which, um, you know, is volatile, uncertain. Um, you know, you have these, these yeah. things happening in the world that uh, people can't control. And in that, you also have these companies taking advantage of, of growing exponentially uh, and all these unicorns that are transitioning literally industries overnight. And it's, it's, you know, big companies that used to not fall are literally falling to these small companies that are being very, very disruptive. And I cover yeah. many of those and, and really touch on just about all of those uh, in the book. Um, but the world is growing at a faster pace. Um, the big companies are now after acquiring that growth. Um, and that's where Facebook now is in a little of antitrust in Europe, at least around their acquisitions of WhatsApp and Instagram. I mean, it mm. went through, but when they acquire that type of growth, they're actually jumping on the bandwagon to continue to their own growth um, where they may have stalled out at some point. So that's where you see companies like Google acquiring 330 different companies. Yeah, um, You have these acquisition arms in, in the corporate that are looking to acquire innovation so they can grow and maybe disrupt themselves, which is a strategy that's implied in the book um, around innovation. So I think for the average small business entrepreneur, which is another part of my career where I've been entrepreneur in residence at Singularity University, at Arizona State University, as well as Thunderbird, um, I've spent time with a lot of small business entrepreneurs, is if they understand the framework of exponential, they have a better chance of actually creating a company of significance oh. and growing that uh, to a place that where it either will get acquired before it goes you know, truly exponential or if they have the long game mindset, which what I really explain in the book, um, people like Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos and even Bill Gates, you know, all kind of share this philosophy of, you know, what you can do in a year, maybe you probably overestimate, but what you can do in 10 years, you almost always underestimate. Mm, yeah, that's the Bill Gates quote. Yeah, that's the Bill Gates quote. But if, mm. if, if you look at it 
uh, Elon Musk and uh, and um, Jeff Bezos have applied that to their businesses. Yeah, uh, where into their business, they realized they were only a very small percentage exponentially to where they wanted to be, and they hadn't hit their inflection point yet. Uh, now you see those companies where Tesla moved out of obscurity 18 months ago, where a lot of people said, "Are they going to make it? Did they get their bridge loan? All these different things." To now being on the S and P 500. So yeah. That, that literally happened based on the model three. Was it, whether it, was it going to be deployed and was he going to, you know, deliver enough of those? And obviously uh, he's, he's been able to kind of prove that uh, he's been able to reinvent a car company by focusing on building a minimum viable product, which, mm. which I talk a lot about um, in, you know, around Elon Musk, because uh, truly one of the biggest leveragers of exponential technologies. If you look at it, it as seven or eight major bets that he's into, yeah. Uh, they all have some kind of exponential technology behind them. So it's, it truly is fascinating to look at these people. And that's where the last 10 years I've been studying them. And how do I bring just the best stories forward to, to share with people? Well, to kind of bridge a gap here while I had some time. And, and I, I, you know, to, to your earlier question, I, I do want to get back out there and uh, help, help companies plan and do some facilitation and things that I've done in the past. Um, and I know that world is, is here through Zoom, um, but uh, I definitely see getting on the ground and helping people work through these issues is going to help them get there faster. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Elon Musk and Tesla, I, I would have put quite a substantial bet a year ago that they wouldn't be around and they would have been crushed by the other car companies, but they haven't. They've succeeded. I would have lost the money, that's for sure. Um, you spoke about the framework for exponential. Is that similar to the framework that I know, or do you have a, another framework that you use when you know, trying to guide companies through this exponential growth uh, that they could go through? Yeah, the exponential organizations framework is, is, is actually referenced in, in the book, um, you know, around uh, really, you know, and I'll just kind of run through it really quickly to kind of give you a high level is right. it's embracing the VUCA world, you know, understanding that, that the only thing that is certain is change. And that the only thing that change is not, you know, it's, it, it's actually accelerating. It's not constant. You know, everybody says change is constant. Well, it's actually change is accelerating, meaning you have to think a different way about your future than you did your past. So the linear life that you lived, you know, if all of a sudden it takes off exponentially, there's going to be a lot of stuff that, that you have to deal with that you hadn't dealt with before. And I think that's the same with, with growing a company exponentially is it, it doesn't, doesn't, it's not something that tells you, hey, we're going to grow exponentially. It just hits an inflection point and starts growing at that rate. Yeah. Uh, but then, so you have to think exponentially. And, and I use Microsoft as a case study there because a lot of people forget about Microsoft, but they were really the first exponential organization. You know, Paul Allen and Bill Gates back in 1976, I think, you know, mentioned that, um, you know, we want to put a computer on in every home. And literally everybody's like, who are these two geeks to think that we need a computer in every home? Yeah. You know, now, you know, literally 15, 20 years later, there was a computer in every home. And now another 15 years, there's a computer in every pocket. Uh, and basically almost every watch, every, you know, everything that's being produced now has a computer in it. And this all came from this exponential thinking and, and thinking a little bit longer term uh, about what the future looks like. So the first visionary that I, I really cover is, is uh, Bill Gates and his ability to kind of see past what a computer could do for the person and, and so forth. Then I think it's about digitizing the model. You know, the, the reality, and this goes to Peter Diamantis's six Ds. 
Yes, um, yes. I use that as a framework to examine industries and companies is once you become digitized, you become exponential. And there's, um, you know, as you know, the, the six D's, you have the, the period of deception, disruption, uh, demonetization, dematerialization, and democratization. Um, you can look at every industry and kind of see where people are in the 6D framework. And uh, so we, we examine that's Stephen Coulter and Peter Diamantis. <laughs> Well, well done on remembering all the D's. <laughs> so, digitize, deception, disruption, demonetization, dematerialization, and democratization. But I only know that, Aaron, because I quickly looked it up. <laughs> I, I, um, I did memorize that because I've said it enough, but there, you know, it is a, it's a tough one because, you know, having that many D's in a row is, is tough. <laughs> and, the point and, of it is most companies yeah. linger in that deception phase, right, before they right. actually disrupt. So. Absolutely. And you mentioned the book that companies should become tech organizations and tech companies. Uh, and that's, that's a trend that's been growing for, for a long time. Like a, a bank is more of a, a technology company than it was you know, in a traditional bank now. Do you see that happening? And how do you see the platform business working? Is there you know, all that major shift into that, those business models? Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, I, I think there's uh, you know one step uh, digitizing the model, and then you become a tech company. Is you know once you're once you've digitized and kind of figured out a strategy there, the reality is you need to become a tech company, and you need to think of you know you know before you may have been an automotive company, now you need to probably be a digital transportation company. Yeah, because the asset becomes a lot less important, and if you just focus on the asset, it could be an advantage to a company and take um, Daimler, for example. Daimler has this incredible brand and can produce cars and can probably produce them better than anyone. They can actually produce combustion engine cars better than anyone. They, you know, Tesla's now proven probably to do electric cars better than anyone. Yeah. That still is up for grabs. You know, really the first one to the market isn't always the one that wins the biggest. So it's not to say Tesla, you know, has... 30, 40 years of growth ahead of them. They could be disrupted by any other electric car company that comes out with a better technology um, for a lower price or just even better technology. So Daimler, for example, though, needs to think of themselves in the future as how do I create transportation for the last mile? How do I create transportation? Because cities are literally getting rid of cars. Um, uh. They are, they're sharing cars. And as things become autonomous and as, as that happens faster than people think, a lot of people always think the future is so far away, but it's now accelerating and happening faster than we could ever imagine. Um, we're here in Phoenix, Arizona. We're one of Phoenix and we actually have autonomous cars on the road um, driving around. Um, yeah. And, you know, experience that. I know in California, they've had some betas and different things, but becoming a tech company is important because building the tech infrastructure and the case studies I use in, in the book are on Domino's and, and Starbucks. And Domino's, for example, has grown 112x from becoming a tech company. They just decided, you know, we can no longer compete just on pizza. How do we create an experience and how do we create technology that'll drive every part of our business and really integrate our whole business? So they went through a digital transformation and committed to that in, in a way that many other companies hadn't. And, and I always just say they won the pizza wars. You know, they're not good pizza by, by any means. There's a lot of good yeah. pizza in the U.S. But if you just want to get a pizza, uh, Domino's is going to provide the most efficient platform to do so. And they've won handily because, because of that. Starbucks as well has gone to this digital app 
in the U.S. alone, that app actually holds $1.6 billion of prepaid Starbucks. Wow. So, you know, now the technology is Starbucks has literally become a bank for people for their future purchases, which now we see a lot of other companies, you know, taking these models and becoming tech companies to do that. But it is important to invest in your technology, regardless of what your product is. You never think that you'd went on pizza or Adobe is another one that moved to a SaaS model yeah. um, from product model where they moved everything to the cloud and they've themselves of 10 X their stock and returns but they had to commit to that and they committed it back in 2008, 2009. And they actually had a couple down years because instead of selling boxes of software, of Photoshop and some of these other things, they were selling subscriptions. So that revenue isn't earned immediately and it's earned over time. Well, they're easily to caught up and then they exponentially just started to grow to where now they became a marketing analytics and they started to become more of a digital cloud model. And now every company has it on subscriptions. They've avoided all the digital piracy, all these different things that they were dealing with before. They've created a better model and they've handily won that industry mm. uh, just because they committed to a digital transformation. And that's where I've been to Adobe all throughout the world and seen what they've, they've done mm. and just a truly innovative company and some of the practices they have inside the company uh, to actually get them to where they're at. So yeah. lots of little I, companies like that that I, I try to share throughout the book to, to prove the model. Uh, it's an unbelievable company. I almost worked for them a couple of years ago, and I, I was surprised to hear that every week the sales and the, the solution arch- engineers and those kind of people, they need to do training every single week because every single week there's a new product, a new launch, there's a new innov- update, there's a new release uh, of an Adobe product that they need to learn about. And that's the cloud world. They, they you know, release it so quickly and so fast now. Uh, just have to stay on top of things. Amazing company. Um, so, Aaron, if, if I came to you or a business came to you and said, like, really, can you help us transform or help us launch a digital product or, you know, or look at a different business model, how could you help them? How, how would you get them to think about how to progress? Well, I think the, the book outlines some strategies, you know, if, if for the DI, DIY CEO. Um, <laughs> so not, not, not everyone probably needs uh, hands-on, but mm. I think, you know, more importantly is to create a culture of, of, of transformation, meaning, um, and that's what I've really done through innovation, is how do you actually bring innovation to the masses? And innovation doesn't work so well in the bureaucracy of a company. I mean, it actually fights it off pretty well. So how do you create these? And, and as you know, through OpenXO and through some of the exponential organizations is creating sprints on the edge of the organization um, often often work. So those are strategies. Right. But in the end, you know, it comes from leadership to really understand how the world is changing. The book outlines a lot of that um, as, as we've talked about some of these different topics and how some products can be disruptive, how you leverage the viral loop, play the long game and then execute on MVP where you're constantly just iterating on what you have and releasing new things. You know, Facebook, um, as well as Amazon, you know, literally Amazon can have an update release every second, you know, which is mindful, you know, literally they're improving their systems and with AI and machine learning, um, that's, that's even creating more. Facebook is the same, you know, they're doing 20,000 experiments 
So your Facebook and mine's not the same because they're trying different things out on different Facebooks to see what works, what doesn't work, and, and constantly learning from that. Um, my role in, in coming into the company is really to create the leadership at the board level, is to create the culture for this digital transformation, is how do we actually mm. engage in this conversation and that's meaningful so we're not disrupted because literally everyone is heading for a cliff. That cliff, they just don't know exactly where it is, but every industry is continuously being reinvented. Um, and I think you look at IBM and maybe some of, and, and I didn't include IBM in the book, but IBM in his example was one that has reinvented themselves several times. Yeah. Well, they are in a place where they have to reinvent themselves again. <laughs> and they're probably the one company that's transitioned from so many different business models uh, to actually stay relevant and be alive. And they're one of the last major companies, you know, in the, in the Dow 30 that that's kind of hanging on. Even GE is, is faltering now as, as we kind of see them moving out of the, the Dow 30 and different things. So as you look at these big companies, um, you know, they have to actually embrace a culture and create a leadership mentality to embrace kind of some of the strategies that I lay out. And it's part of playing the long game. If you're always reporting to your analyst every three months, what, what they want to hear, that means you're not really thinking about anything beyond the year. And it's kind of the counter strategy to everyone is like, you know, you can only infect what happens in the next 90 days. Well, that has to fit into a long game of where you're going. Otherwise you're going to lose sight and, and you're probably going to make uh, cutbacks and things like that when, when literally you should be thinking about the long term. Mm-hmm. And I, I would actually be that Tesla, I would be critical of Tesla on this. Um, but I would look at Amazon as an example that someone that's just kind of weathered the storm and figured out hiring practices to like kind of grow through the ups and downs of their business. Yeah. Um, but in, in general, uh, my <laughs> role is to kind of create that culture through facilitating that and then driving, you know, the projects that'll actually make the difference where, you know, I've been in the organizations like a global beverage company and, you know, we literally in a meeting found $3.6 billion in revenue if we just implemented it. Wow. Um, that's the kind of thing that uh, gets real exciting that over the next several years, they implemented that and we're able to actually see those revenues just based on understanding the markets and different segments, how they were growing in different ways. And I think having those conversations um, and thinking a little bit more long-term is part of a conversation you need to have with uh, CEOs and leaders. And that's where I've begun coaching some CEOs uh, directly um, because when they were, you know, candidly, most CEOs, when they're in business school or when they, they learned about building an organization, they certainly didn't learn about building one in this environment. And I've gotten the, the opportunity to learn about that by going in and out of literally over 500 organizations um, in the last 10 years sure. uh, to see how they innovate the best way. And, and took that and kind of brought it together and, and into this uh, thousand page of notes that I automatically uh, weeded down to a couple hundred, but, um, you know, really, really um, help companies kind of think about a, a new, they always have to be constantly thinking about what is their new, their new way of doing things while keeping their purpose, um, while keeping, you know, yeah. touch the customers. And it's, it's a complex, you know, it's part of that VUCA complexity is, We've never lived in a, a world that's easier to launch a business, yet more complex to survive and be in a business. And I yeah, think that's yeah. what we talk about much. Absolutely. So maybe there are enough notes for 
book two and book three to come out. Um, <laughs> so, Aaron, can I point people to your website, rnbear.com? And, and that's got a lot of information. Can you, could you take us through what, what is on that website if people went to have a look at it? Yeah, so the, the website obviously um, links to, to the book, some information. I have some, a lot of different blogs. I, um, I also um, post a lot in Medium. Um, mm. So I'm an author there and um, post a lot of the different articles that kind of didn't make the book and some that did make the book. And really working on a body of work to kind of capture, to, to your point, is I do have book, book two is probably on entrepreneurship and book three is on leadership. Yeah. Uh, and they kind of fell out of this where innovation is about both um, and they're very tightly, but they're also, um, you know, need, they have the separate body of work to kind of be included in that. And, you know, one of the other things in my career that I've done is I built a lot of curriculum on entrepreneurship and leadership for, for companies um, in the e-learning space. One of the companies I had was called Purposely, and we helped companies kind of devi- define purpose through leadership training, um, as well as through entrepreneurship. And then we even built a product for uh, students uh, in career services where it helped them find their purpose in their career world. So um, I've been thinking about this for a long time. And I think you know, it's this, you know, driving purpose into an organization um, through innovation, through exponential, through entrepreneurship, through leadership is really how this all comes together. So yeah. there is a body of work that I'll probably work on the rest of my life um, that I'm just fascinated with because now it changes at a, spe- at a speed that's, you know, hardly recognizable. But I've, you know, with the research I've done, you know, some of this has enabled me to catch up with some of that changes but not knowing what artificial intelligence or machine learning or all these different technologies are going to impact general organizations and leadership. It's going to be how, it's not going to be what happens, but it's going to be how we respond to it is, is going to matter for the leaders of the future. Yeah, definitely. And are you comfortable talking about uh, Namaste Republic? Is that how you pronounce it? Yeah. Yeah. So um, during, during my travels, um, you know, we, we often included something, um, in our innovation that, that really led to mindfulness. Um, so we created some training around mindfulness because we felt that most executives are running at a pace that, that is unsustainable and they're not dealing with stress in a way that they can manage in the long run. And they're actually putting more stress on the organization. And I take it as like Steve Jobs uh, before he was fired and went to Pixar and, and, and started next. Steve Jobs then was this stressful leader. Yeah. Steve Jobs in his formative years became a, a leader of wisdom, you know, where, you know, he had some of his greatest quotes are as I hire people and I get out of the way. I wouldn't say the first Steve Jobs would have said that, but he became <laughs> mindful, you know, and then maybe it was his trip to, to India or, you know, whatever that kind of brought him uh, down to earth to say, how do I, you know, create a big challenge, uh, you know, a moonshot right? Um, and get out of the way and, you know, give people the resources. Let's get them out of the building. Let's, you know, build it. Let's put a pirate flag. Let's let them kind of go and, and develop something and get out of the way um, to, you know, the leadership of him being very mindful. So Namaste Republic was really born out of me having these little exercises within my, within my innovation training about how do people reduce stress 
and actually bring people out of what we call the red, which um, a lot of people work in stress where there's good stress uh, and there's bad stress, but how do we eliminate that? And, and so I worked through several years. I ended up going to Bali and fasting for two weeks. And um, I've done, you know, Buddhist retreats and different things throughout my Correct. time of traveling because I, I realized my own stress of, of keeping up you know, with what I was just doing was, was taking a toll on me. And, and since I've lost, you know, 70 pounds and, you know, sure. really getting off the road and everything. And it's, it's really based me in a, in a more balanced uh, life lifestyle. So Namaste Republic was an idea from my daughter um, who is uh, quite the young entrepreneur. Um, she's actually starring on a Nickelodeon show called top elf right now. Oh, wow. Um, so she's, literally one of the most caring and giving young people that you could meet. She's 12. She's a patent holder, entrepreneur. She's done quite amazing things. And sure. she came up with this idea around Namaste Republic. She's like, this is my happy place. And Republic means, you know, equality and unity amongst people. And Namaste means finding the God within. And this is my daughter, who her name's Bali, which was named after the island where I got married uh, to her mother. And that means peaceful warrior. So in all that, I've literally embraced uh, mindfulness that it's given me a competitive edge. And candidly, I, I think with all the executives I work with, uh, we use it as a tool to really help reflect, de-escalate, handle situations better, become better leaders. And I really have a whole process of mindful leadership that I built within Namaste Republic. But what we did is we actually created a sustainable clothing company out of it um so that we huh. can share our message in a more broader way so um we've been you know building this brand um around just really these key messages and, and key kind of mantras and affirmations to help people kind of balance themselves uh in their life i'm actually wearing can't really say it but i'm wearing the namaste republic shirt right now and oh wow <laughs> but it anchors me it anchors me to be in a peaceful place it's a constant reminder a physical mm. reminder uh, to, to really approach the world in a, in a mindful way. And that, that's what ultimately the book, to bring that back to reimagine innovation, the end of the book, right. you know, really comes back to say, hey, we have to be more conscious. We have to, you know, look at how to benefit all of our stakeholders. We have to reimagine all these problems because we now have technologies and we have the bandwidth and brain, brain power to actually solve these problems at an exponential level. So we can attack some really big problems and start seeing, you know, making some differences. And, and we're starting to see that. And the book kind of leads up to this, this, this point of, you know, now we must reimagine the whole world. And what that means is out of this crisis has created opportunity that people can really reimagine the world um, in their own way. And they can sure. start working on that. And they'll evolve to whatever level that their mind will let them. And that's kind of part of the the process that I, on a subconscious later, build in the book is these mental models and um, affirmations to to really help people kind of motivate themselves to actually, you know, take the chances to do something important with their life, purposeful, mm. um, instead of just uh, mundane. And I see you've met Joe Biden. Yes, yeah, <laughs> it's I, on uh, your thoughts section. <laughs> I had the opportunity. Um, I was uh, good friends with uh, the late Senator McCain and mm. he had uh, the McCain Institute and they had a forum 
that often brought together world leaders around democracy. And I was invited to a couple of those forums. And so I got to meet, you know, different presidents. And at, at that specific Sedona forum, uh, Vice President Biden at the time, he was um, to, to President Obama, um, was at the forum. And you saw this relationship between Vice President Biden and Senator McCain, which obviously had ran an election against each other. You saw yeah. this very good relationship that you didn't realize from the public eye. Um, but how that, you know, some people, you know, which John McCain was kind of known for reaching across the aisle and solving problems and not necessarily falling into party lines and politically, but the Sedona Forum was a great representation of what our democracy needs to get back to. Yeah. Um, and, but, but yeah, I got the opportunity to, uh, to meet then Vice President uh, Joe Biden. Actually, you got to swim in, the, in a pool with him. <laughs> uh, oh goodness! Had, had, had quite quite an experience in Sedona, um, along with my daughter, which at, at the time was only about uh, three or four. But she got to meet the president of Macedonia and different different my world goodness. leaders at the conference. But um, yeah, I've been blessed with the the network that uh, I've been able to um, be around from the innovation work that I've done. So it's it's been good. That's fantastic, and I agree with your sentiments. If if the two parties can find a way of dealing and going forward together. That would be wonderful. Not only for America, but for the whole world, actually. Um, so, Aaron, thank you so, so much for your time. I really appreciate it. And I'm glad we had our interview after what's been months in the, the making. So thank you so much. And congratulations on your book, Reimagining Innovation. Uh, fantastic book. I read it myself. So thank you very, very much for joining me today. I really appreciate it. Okay. Thank you, Lance. Appreciate taking the and time and... Yeah, cool. And I hope you, the listener, found this as interesting and useful as I did. Just, I encourage everyone to go and buy the book. It's available everywhere, Amazon, etc. Uh, I'll have the link to the book. I'll have a link to the website in the show notes. Uh, if you'd like to contact me, then please do. My email is lance at ideastorm.co.za and my website is www.ideastorm.co.za. If you have an author that you'd like me to reach out to, if you, you know, you, you You've read something, you want to find out more, then please let me know and I'll try my best to make it happen. So thank you, Aaron, for making this happen. And I appreciate you and wish you everything of the best for 2021. Yeah, likewise, Lance. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you very much. Cheers. Bye. Bye.